And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Brent Clanton joining me this morning, driving our Link Challenge bus, which is bruised and dinged and bent up a bit after yesterday's sell-off in the market. Um, you know, this has been one of the more interesting types of years. Now, a couple of things to kind of talk about this morning in particular is, you know, why did the market have such a steep sell-off over the last couple of days? We, we touched on this yesterday. A lot of this has to do with inflation. Now, this morning, we're going to see another measure of inflation. This is the producer price index that's coming out this morning. Now, importantly, the Fed doesn't pay attention to CPI or PPI, by the way. What they pay attention to is the Personal Consumption Expenditures Index, which is that inflation gauge is what they actually look at. But all these things are showing the same thing. Rising prices, rising costs, you know, uh, impact to consumers, etc. No doubt about that. And the reason the market was selling off this last couple of days, you know, we had this rally that we had talked about earlier uh, last month had this rally back to the 50-day moving average roughly, and then completely just gave up that ghost over the last three days. Big decline. Um, this actually, yesterday's decline, actually put the market into what's technically measured, and I'm saying technically with quote air quotes, is because 20% declines from peaks typically or historically or arbitrarily, however you want to say it, is how Wall Street says, oh, we're in a bear market. But really, that's not the case. But I, I want to say a couple of things here. First of all, um, the, the market entered a bear market yesterday. We're down 21.8% from the January peak. So a very tough sledding year. But if you ask most people, we've been in a bear market for months, right? So it's just been a very tough year across the board. But stocks are down 21.8% for the year, pretty much giving up all of the gains of 2021 are now gone. So a big reversal in all that liquidity-fueled rise we had in the markets last year. Everybody was all excited. You know, I was getting these Facebook posts about how easy it was to make money in the markets. You just threw money in the markets. Why work? Stocks just go up all the time. That really hasn't been the case. And this year, all of those gains from last year are now completely wiped out. We're back to early 2021 levels here. Um, two other important things, uh, though, is that if we take a look at the market, on a weekly basis, now this is where things get a little bit more interesting because on a weekly basis, as we start talking about longer term measures of markets and things like that, um, the market really hasn't violated its long term bullish trend. In fact, you know, if we look at the 200 week moving average, which now same kind of measure, 200 day moving average, 200 week moving average, exactly the same thing. But the 200-week moving average has been great support for the markets going all the way back, um, really back to 2009. 2015, 2016, the markets touched that level. Um, 2018, that's where markets bounced. 2020, we broke through it very quickly, but then quickly recovered back above it. That 200-week moving average has been a very strong bullish trend for the markets. And the reason I bring this up is because we still have more to go to get back to that level and we're not there yet. So we're going to try to push back most likely to that 200 week moving average, which right now is around 3,500 on the S&P 500. But, but more importantly, 
we haven't violated that long-term bullish trend in the markets. In other words, we're not actually in a bear market. Despite the fact we're down 21% from the peak, bear markets are, are the differential between a bullish trend or rising trend of prices, which we currently have right now, and still maintain that on a long-term basis. We're in a process of a correction in that rising trend of prices, but a bear market is a negative trend in prices, and we haven't done that yet. Uh, you know, the last time that we've really seen a negative trend in prices, uh, you would have to go back to 2008 right now, and have not been, and really haven't done that. So again, it's important to keep some perspective here. Yes, the markets are correcting, and that's certainly problematic here short term. And that's certainly weighing on investor sentiment at this moment. Yeah, it's terrible this year. It's been a very challenging year for markets. But on a longer term perspective, and again, we have to kind of put things into perspective. Longer term, markets are doing okay. And they're doing what they're supposed to do. And again, if we go back and look at where we were at the peak of the market in 2019, we still have a net positive return over, the, over that period of time. So 2019, 2020, just before the... Uh, the, the economic shutdown, we're still higher than we were there. So, you know, as you take a look at, and, and the reason I bring this up, of course, is talking about sentiment and psychology. It's very easy to get extremely negative where markets are right now. Lots of things are going wrong. The Fed's talking about hiking rates. We're going to talk more about that after the break. You know, are they going to hike 50 basis points, 75 basis points? What's going to go on with that? What about a recession? We'll get into all that. But importantly, though, I just want to help you keep perspective here that, yes, this has been a tough year and this is where we want to make in, you know, uh, decisions based on our emotional drag. And we're getting all this emotional drag from a very negative market environment. But keeping perspective, we still have positive gains in markets. Markets are still trending positively. And, and so once we start to look at a longer term picture of what's happening in the markets, we see a very different kind of story emerge. And on this longer term basis, markets are deeply oversold. We are more oversold now than we were at the trough of the market in 2020. Uh, and that's on virtually every level. So when we start looking at these markets on longer term trend basis, all of a sudden a very different picture emerges. And even if we go back to, to uh, 2008, around those levels back here in 2009, we're at the same level. We're actually more oversold today with this 21% decline. We're more oversold currently now than we were back in 2008. So again, as we take a look at these longer term measures, we get a little bit better understanding about what's happening with markets. Yes, markets are under a lot of pressure right now. Yes, things seem very terrible. Do we have more to go on the downside in this market? Probably. Um, the Fed is hiking rates. We're going to have a recession here at some point. Can things get markedly worse from where they are? Probably. And so we'd certainly want to be prepared for that. That's why we've been talking about raising cash, adding a short position to portfolios, those type of things. But again, it's also important to keep perspective on where you are within your financial portfolio relative to your financial plan, your financial goals, et cetera, because it's very easy in this type of environment. Reading headlines every day, it's terrible. But on a longer term basis, markets are doing just fine. And that's hard to hear right now, and I know that's hard to understand, but they're doing what they're supposed to do. And when you have a lot of excesses created in the markets like we did in 2020, 2021, because of all that liquidity that we put in, well, when that liquidity comes back out again, 
you've got to have a price correction. You've got to have a correction in prices back to where the long-term fundamentals are, long-term trends are, where the actual value of the market is. That's where we've got more work to do here. And again, I don't want to dismiss the fact that we have more downside coming in the markets. Now, very likely we're going to have a bounce here uh, and probably a fairly decent one. But again, use that rally, sell into, raise cash. Same process we've been talking about really for the last several months, using these rallies to rebalance that risk, lower your risk profile in your portfolio, protect yourself for now. But there is also an end to this that's coming. Don't know when, but there is going to be an end to this. It'll be a period of time that we want to put a lot of money back to work in the markets. We're not there yet, but we'll be there soon. So when we come back from the break, though, what's the Fed going to do here? We have inflation running hotter than expected still. Hasn't really broken yet. Fed's talking about 50 basis point rate hike. Their meeting starts today. What's the outcome of that? What's the impact on markets and money? All that's coming up here on The Real Investment Show. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the show this morning. Of course, uh, this morning futures are pointing up a little higher this morning, and that's kind of good news, getting a little bit of uh, a reflex of bounce this morning. Uh, unfortunately, Bitcoin's not being able to get that. Cryptocurrencies have been under a huge bashing over the last couple of days. But futures are pointing slightly higher this morning. Uh, S&P's up about 15 points right now. Those That will probably improve a little bit here as we get into the market open. Dow's up about 74 uh, NASDAQ's up about 75 points. So, you know, we're going to get a little bit of a reflexive rally uh, this morning, just kind of, you know, after this very sharp decline here over the last three days. And, and then, look, it's been tough, as I, as I said. And this is all over concerns. It's all started, um, you know, last week over concerns of, you know, uh, you know, stronger than expected inflation. And it just doesn't seem to be stopping at this point. And that's really got the, the concern of the market, right, is that this inflation just remains a lot more persistent than, you know, what everyone expected. And look, it's going to peak here. And it's again, just you go back and it's just a function of math and how things work. Inflation is going to peak and inflation is going to decline by the end of the year. And that's just that will happen. The, the problem is that it's just not happening fast enough for the markets, unfortunately. They just want it to happen faster. And these things don't always work that way. Um, you know, there's a lot of 
you know, uh, you know, inputs that are coming in that work on a lagging basis that haven't caught up with what's going on with the rest of the economy. And that'll play catch up over the next few months. So, you know, this has led to a lot of concerns that the Fed's going to remain more aggressive, hiking rates more than expected. And now expectations are that um, tomorrow, so the FOMC meeting starts today. And so tomorrow, they will make their announcements expected they're going to hike rates now 75 basis points rather than 50. I'm not sure they will. It's possible. Uh, yesterday, Nick Timros, who writes for the Wall Street Journal, and he's kind of the Fed whisperer. So whenever the Fed wants to try to leak some information, they kind of feed him a, a little bit to put out to the Wall Street Journal. And they do this to try to prep markets for you know, what's coming so markets won't be surprised. And yesterday morning was interesting because Nick Timrose in the morning pins that the Fed's going to be sticking with a 50 basis point rate hike and, you know, staying with their messaging, which is, has been the case. They haven't, the Fed hasn't said anything about hiking more aggressively at this point. In fact, it wasn't uh, just last month that the Fed ruled out a 75 basis point rate hike entirely. And that hasn't changed as of late. And But yesterday morning, Nick Timrose says, well, you know, the Fed's going to continue to just hike 50 basis points. They're going to stay with their messaging. They're not going to do anything to spook markets. But then yesterday afternoon, he writes that, you know, now there's a consideration the Fed could hike 75 basis points. So did he get a phone call uh, from somebody at the Fed yesterday saying, hey, we need you to drop a little note in the markets? And that really kind of accelerated that sell-off. Uh, overall, and, and markets were down sharply yesterday. Because again, this more aggressive Fed policy is coming at a time where the economy is already slowing fairly sharply. So this is going to lead to that problem that we've got coming, which is this economic recession. The Fed's going to hike rates to slow economic growth. You're going to get a recession out of it because you've already got enough implications that we're heading into a recession already. And it's just a function of timing at this point. So the tighter the Fed, or, or I should say the, the faster that the Fed hikes rates and the faster that they tighten their balance sheet, the, the more risk there is to asset prices to the downside. And, the, and again, at this point, it certainly seems like the Fed has allowed the markets to take a backseat. And that's true because they're more focused on inflation. But let me be clear. The Fed prefers inflation over financial instability. And at some point, if we start to get a financially unstable market, something starts to break, the fight over inflation will be dropped very quickly. And particularly with the fact that high prices will tend to solve high prices anyway, the focus will quickly return back to the financial market. So again, just paying attention to what's happening with a lot of the economic data, there's nothing wrong in the market just yet. Now, yesterday was interesting from the standpoint, though, from a financial instability standpoint, you actually had a fairly sharp spike in the volatility index. Now, this is the first time that we've seen the volatility index really jump in the course of the last several months. It's been really, despite the fact the market's been in decline, um, the volatility index, uh, the measure of fear in the markets really hasn't been there. And take a look at credit spreads. Credit spreads have, have were remaining fairly muted. 
Those have all started to move out very quickly. Yesterday, the one-year and two-year treasury uh, levels spiked. So the short end of the curve spiked very sharply yesterday. Long end of the curve also um, moved up, but not nearly at the same rate. And we're getting a much flatter yield curve. In fact, just yesterday, very briefly, the end curve inverted again. So, you know, there's this, there's this now, this real concern that we're starting to move into an environment where there's real risk of financial instability. But uh, again, it's just, you know, everything seems to be working okay at the moment. But for example, mortgage, mortgage bonds went no bid yesterday. And there was a, a, a point to where bond dealers were putting out prices at levels that they knew nobody would ex ex execute at. So in other words, if, if I want to sell or buy something, I put out a price that nobody will buy or sell at. And that's what they mean by going no bid. There was just simply no bids at that point. People were putting out these prices. They didn't want to transact business. And we're starting to watch mortgage rates jump up here fairly quickly. 30-year mortgages are up over 5% and moving up very quickly. So this is going to have a significant impact to the housing market, mortgage market, mortgage demand. There's going to be a lot of implications there. And this is, again, at this point, there's not really been any stress. The markets, the real estate market's been doing okay. Credit markets have been functioning fine. No real worries. So this has allowed the Fed room at this point to make adjustments. The room that they have to make those adjustments may be running out a little bit faster than they anticipated. So, look, I don't have any idea for sure what the Fed will do tomorrow. I still suspect that they may come out and go 50 basis points and talk about that we're starting to see, because we are, starting to see some areas of that kind of peak inflation. And the one thing that you've got to be aware of is that in the CPI index, the biggest component of that is homeowners equivalent rent, which, as we talked about yesterday, runs on a lag. So, that's going to start to catch up here in the next month or two. We're going to start to see this decline in housing prices that's already going on, this slowing of housing demand. That's going to start to feed into the CPI index. And again, 42% of that index is housing. So it will come down fairly sharply, despite the fact if oil prices remain high, right? That'll be irrelevant because energy prices make up a very small component. Food prices are about 15% of the index. So there is some lift coming from food. But again, just on the magnitude of change with what's happening in the real estate market, inflation will start to come down because of homeowners equivalent rent, really all by itself. If everything else remains status quo, inflation would come down because of homeowners equivalent rent. Uh, again, this is going to take some time to feed through. So again, it's not going to happen tomorrow. It's not going to happen next week. And you're not going to see it at the pump anytime soon because that has nothing to do with housing. But we're going to start to see that impact. So again, the Fed knows this as well. This is not anything, this isn't some secret backroom dealing we've got going on here. The Fed knows this. So the, the, what the Fed's going to have to deal with between today and tomorrow is, do I want to really go after inflation and do a 75 basis point rate hike, which is, a, it's, it's on the table now. They put it back on the table. Or do I want to take a more measured approach, do 50, wait and see. I've got another meeting coming up in July, wait and see. Another meeting in September, wait and see. You know, do we go 50 basis points each rate hike 
see how the market responds, see how the economy responds, and then make my next move. See, the problem with going 75 basis points, if I, if I jump out 75 basis points tomorrow, that's okay. But if that jump breaks something because the market's not ready for it, as much as we think it is, then I can't take it back. It's kind of like it's kind of like cooking, right? Um, you know, don't put in too much salt. You're always better off to undersalt stuff because you can always add salt, right? Problem is you can't take it back out again. And that's then that's the Fed's real challenge is how fast do they move given the variability of the data as it's coming in, particularly the fact that we already know from multitudes of indicators, whether it's the ISM index, the leading economic indicators, or whether it's uh, CEO confidence or consumer confidence, which is extremely low levels, all those are telling you that the risk of a recession has risen markedly. And the Fed's aware of this. Again, the Fed's aware of this. So again, how fast will they move? We don't know. Again, um, you know, there is risk of further market declines. I think we get a bounce here over the next couple of days. That's fine. Use that rally to sell into. Once that kind of rally works through itself, again, there's a lot of what we call trap longs. So despite whatever rally we get, there's a lot of people that were in the market, got swept up into the sell-off on Friday and Monday, just looking for an exit. So as soon as this market bounces a little bit, they're going to meet that and start selling into it. So again, the, you know, whatever rally we get will likely be short-lived. So use that to reduce risk, raise some cash, rebalance allocation. Same story we've been talking about really for the last several months. That process hasn't changed just yet because we haven't seen a turn in indicators suggesting that we're through the worst of this market. We're a long way through it, right? We're a long way through this bear market decline, but there is more to go. We'll be right back after the break. Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. In 1999, a parafiduciary group of financial advisors were busted by corporate giants for trying to operate in their clients' best interest. These men promptly escaped from a high cost margin environment to the Houston Energy Corridor. Today, still excoriated by their former employers, they survive as protectors of others' fortunes. If you have a problem about preserving capital, if no one else can help, and you can find them right here, maybe you should hire the RIA team. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. CNBC right now they're running their taglines markets in turmoil <laughs> so uh, this morning we have PPI out 
Uh, that's the producer price index. So we have several different measures of inflation. We have CPI, which is the consumer price index. That's the one that you're most uh, familiar with. That's what we everybody talks about. Then there's PPI, which is the producer price index, which is talking about what have producers been paying for imports, you know, parts, et cetera. And that's, that's the inflation measure that producers are dealing with, manufacturers, et cetera. And then there's the personal consumption expenditures index, which personal consumption expenditures, that measure makes up 70% of the, uh, of the economic calculation. So when we talk about GDP, 70% of that is made up of personal consumption expenditures, what you and I buy. Well, there's an inflation gauge of that, talking about price changes within that index of personal consumption expenditures. And that's what the Fed pays attention to. They, they, they work off what's called this trimmed mean PCE, which is a modified measure of this that kind of smooths out the inflation bumps over time and gives them a little bit better idea of the trend of inflation and that's when they're considering monetary policy they don't really they 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 are aware of cpi they look at cpi i don't want to say they ignore it but their real focus is this trim mean pce that they they use so but again all of these measures clearly showing higher prices right uh gas prices food prices we were talking yesterday about peanut butter just you know can't find stuff uh, stuff on shelves are, are gone. Um, but, you know, that is a problem that also fixes itself. And again, because what happens ultimately is that consumers, and this is, it's interesting because there's a, an article out this morning talking about, you know, inflation is here to stay. It's never going away. And that's the way it always feels at the time. You know, back in the 1970s, we thought inflation was never going to go away. It was spiking straight up, wouldn't, wasn't stopping. And, of course, back in the 70s, we were at 14%, 15% inflation. But once we hit that peak and we got into two back-to-back -back recessions, inflation fell very quickly. And that's what will happen here. We will have a contraction in economic activity, which is called a recession, and that will lead to a reduction in, in demand, and that allows supply to catch up, and so prices come down. And we're, start, we're starting to see this in some areas, right? We were talking about um, in the last you know, uh, earnings reports that were coming out, Walmart, Target, Amazon, talking about too much inventory, too many employees. So when you have that kind of environment, Two things have to happen. Either uh, first thing I'd start to do is I stop hiring employees, right? So that takes away the ability for wages to increase. So I start to have a peak in wage growth. As companies start to lay off workers, wages decline. Because if you want a job, you're gonna have to work cheaper. And so you'll get wage disinflation when that occurs. As the recession starts to settle in. People are getting laid off and losing their jobs, which means they can't buy as much stuff, which means that producers are still producing stuff, right? Because they're, they're kind of on a run rate, and I'm producing X number of, of product every day to meet what I thought was demand, but that demand's going to slow. 
And as a producer, what producers do is they keep kind of producing at the same level. And they go, oh, yeah, we had a little slowdown this week, had a little slowdown this month, but it'll pick up next month. Right? So I don't want to be caught short, so I keep producing the same level, and that inventory starts to build up. And that leads to too much inventory. Then you begin having these, these pullbacks. And that happens in everything, right? From commodities to, um, you know, everything. But again, demand will slow as you get into an economic recession. This is why they call it a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is why they call it a recession. <laughs> it's, it's a contraction of demand. That's all it is. It's not surprising. So, again, as, as we talk about this, and this is what the Fed does, and, and you know, the Fed's beginning their, two, their uh, meeting today. Everybody is out there is like, you know, hey, 75 basis point rate hike coming. Maybe. We'll see. But as they start their meeting, you know, the reason they hike rates, and we've talked about this numerous times before, the, re the whole reason, the entire premise of hiking interest rates is to make things more expensive on you. So that you'll stop buying stuff, and you know this is and this is where we get into the savings paradox, the paradox of savings, or the, or the paradox of thrift. You know, it's interesting from a financial advisory standpoint. You know, we tell people all the time, it's like you need to save more money. Stop spending everything you make. Start saving more money. You need to save money for your retirement. Makes complete sense. But that's the, that's the paradox of thrift. The more you save, that means you're spending less, which means you have less economic growth. So what, what the government wants is for you to spend more. They want you to spend everything you make plus more. They want you to go into debt because that's what creates economic growth. More activity, more growth. So there's two ways to, to have more growth, right? Increase your population or increase your spending. And we're not doing the, la the former, so we'll have to do more of the latter if we want the, the economy to grow. The problem is, is that people are running out of money. We talked about you know, the issue of, of surging levels of credit usage here over the last couple of months. The last two months alone, people tapping into credit cards has gone up by $80 billion. A little more, actually, but it's about roughly about $90 billion. A lot of money. Two months, $90 billion. Kind of annualize that, that's you know, $1.8 trillion. I mean, that's it's not, that's not nothing in a $20 trillion economy. But again, it's because in individuals, they've already tapped out. All their savings are gone that they had. That's gone. The money that was given to them by the government to spend, that's gone. And... So if I want to continue to maintain my lifestyle, which, you know, $5 a gallon gasoline and, you know, $900 bottles of peanut butter, got to spend more money. The only place I can get that is on my credit card. So it's, it's a very challenging environment that we're in right now. And for the Fed, this is becoming much more problematic. And this is also coming at a time, and again, as we talked about earlier, you know, the market's down 21% this year, roughly 22%. And everybody's now calling it's a bear market. And as we talked about earlier in the show today, it's not really a bear market because we haven't broken the positive trend of the markets. We're still above the 2020 peaks. But from an investor perspective, it certainly feels terrible, 
right? I mean, just now, here it is June, and we're just now calling it a bear market. What about the first six months of the year, right? That wasn't a bear market. You know, we have these kind of arbitrary measures, but from an from a, a emotional perspective, this has been a bear market since March. And we're just now kind of officially calling it one. So, but this is this really goes to a lot of things. I mean, we have the worst kind of economic gloom in the last 50 years. I mean, if you look at the University of Michigan Cinnamon Index, it's hitting levels that we haven't seen, I think, in the, in the history of the index. The National Federation of Independent Business Report will be out this morning. It's going to register some very recessionary levels in that index. You know, The problem, of course, with economic gloom is exactly what we just talked about. Recessions are a function of individuals making decisions not to do things. And if they're economically gloomy, which they are, they're not making those decisions to go spend a lot of money. They're doing just the opposite. They're going, hey, let's postpone that purchase. Let's think about something different. Let's, let's change what we're buying. Let's downgrade our, our, our standards for a while. Let's you know, try to you know, make ends meet. Let's not drive as much. And that's what we're seeing, what's seeing happen now. You know, it, you know, it's interesting. Companies are even attempting to hide inflation in some manners because there's now shrinking package sizes. We talked about shrinkflation before. You go to the store to buy, you know, a bag of chips and there's a lot more air in the bag and a lot less chip. Right? That's shrinkflation. I, you know, I, my bag size is the same. I'm, I try not to charge you more. I'm trying not to raise prices on the product as much, but I just give you less for it. And this has been a practice that's been going on for quite some time, but, you know, it becomes more apparent now when you go to the store and, and start buying things and find out what the sizes are and what's what's actually in the in the package of stuff that you're buying. But again, the big risk and I think an inevitable risk at this point because of where the Fed is trapped is a recession. The only question is is by the time we actually recognize the recession it'll really be a lot it'll be too late to do anything about it. So we've got to make those decisions about what we're going to do in terms of managing money, et cetera. Now, understanding that the risk is still coming. Come back. We'll wrap up the show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. Snow, go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Hurricane season is here. And along the Texas Gulf Coast, we know how to prepare. What we don't always know is which way the storm will go and if a hurricane does come your way, whether your house will flood. Fortunately, you can get flood insurance. Unfortunately, flood insurance rates have skyrocketed. 
Don't be at risk. Let the specialists at RIA Insurance assess your needs and shop your coverage for the best rates possible. Another service from realinvestmentadvice.com. Click on the insurance tab, realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Show this morning. I'm real science Roberts. It's uh, 6:47. Interestingly enough, uh, Yahoo has a uh, Yahoo Finance has an article out this morning called "The Five Most Dreaded Words at the Office." And it's interesting because there's no article there; it's just the title. <laughs> gotcha. But I'll tell you what the five most dreaded words at the office are. What are they, Lance? My kids' school is fundraising. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know, I went to my son's uh, graduation here recently, uh-huh. and I figured out this whole school fundraising thing is all a scam. Because here they are, we're, we're, we're in, you know, everybody's sitting there and they're going through all the, you know, announcements mm-hmm. and they're talking about this, that, and the other thing. And, and then they get to um, the school, the, the, um, you know the the class president and secretary and you right. know, the the, the mm-hmm. class the class officers leadership. the class leadership thing yes. that's the word I'm looking for, and so they say and so they look over at the class treasurer and they say would you like to come up and say a few words and they come up and because it's time for the presentation of the gifts, and I'm like what is this, and so the class treasurer gets up and he starts talking he's like yes yeah, so you know this year uh, the senior class is donating. Uh, brand new fitness equipment to the training facility and we're giving a donation to the scholarships for these types of people and we bought a new 3d laser printer for the you know for the you know some other department and we did this and just this whole long list of stuff that they were buying and i'm sitting there thinking about this i'm going wait a second all these kids fundraisers that were going on for the last four years for their senior class right have now gone back to buying stuff for the school, which is why I pay school taxes to start with. <laughs> yep. So not only am I paying school taxes, all those fundraisers were cycled, recycled back around into, it's time for the presentation of the gifts to the school. I'm like, what a scam. I think we need a Dave moment in the school budgeting process. We, we, need, a, we need a big moment period in the school process yeah. period especially with some of the stuff coming out of these schools these days i won't mention what just happened here in hisd with the drag queen show but we'll, oh. we'll, we'll get, that's a whole nother I issue can't even can't even i know so and we won't even <laughs> but it happened anyway um just get ready to wrap up the show so one of the other um things to worry about here and we talked about this about a month ago is that coming out of earnings season we saw a lot of companies announce stock buybacks and they were saying hey we're going to buy x uh, x amount of dollars of stock now now stock buybacks are very important to the stock market and as we've talked about before we did the study uh, that we published on our website that 40 percent of the returns since 2011 has come solely from share buybacks companies buying back their own shares so it's a very important support for asset prices. 
Now, unfortunately, though, these companies go into what's called the blackout period where they can't buy back their shares. And we're just entering into that now, begins today. And this is going to last for, you know, the next couple of weeks. So that that support for financial markets is going to go away here temporarily until that black that uh, blackout window opens back up again. So one of the other kind of sources of buying for the markets has been coming from corporations. So when retail investors aren't there and when in institutional investors aren't there to, to pick up the slack from sellers, corporations have been there to pick up the slack from sellers. They're not going to be there now. So that's a support that is now going to go away, and that's going to you know potentially limit both, A, rallies in the markets, and again, this morning, Markets are trying to point up a little bit this morning. We'll see how things go. Again, one, if PPI comes in a lot hotter than expected, that could weigh on markets again today. We'll see. Um, but again, you know, this, this whole kind of structure of the market continues to remain fairly weak on multiple levels. You know, about 47% of the S&P 500 is going to be in this blackout window now. And by the end of the week, that's going to be about 65% of the S&P 500. So again, a fairly significant chunk of the S&P will not be in there actually buying asset prices. Now, you know, having said that, um, we've had $700 billion worth of share buyback announcements since the beginning of this year. That's the most on record for any given year. So companies are sitting around with a huge chunk of cash, Apple, Microsoft, et cetera. They have all this cash on the books, and there's nothing to do with it. They're not innovating really anymore. I mean, their, their innovations have, have really slowed down a lot. We're just getting reiterations of the previous product. We're not getting anything really new, exciting. You get an extra, you know, on your iPhone, you get a, a 12th camera lens. <laughs> At some point, you're just going to get an iPhone that's going to look like the eye of a fly. It'll be just like 500 <laughs> lenses on it. Here's looking at you. Exactly. <laughs> just one big lens and a button. Um, <laughs> well, you know, when you have the most narcissistic generation in the world coming up, exactly. you, know, you need more lenses. Mm -hmm. Can't yeah. have enough. No, see, they've actually, they've, I, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, Tell you what the next innovation needs to be. If somebody invents this, it'll be a billion dollars. So if you make a billion dollars, this is what you do. You don't even need that. You don't even need the the phone to make calls. Nobody calls anybody anymore, right? Just they, they just all text. They, they don't even yeah. text. No, they don't even. My daughter does not text. They do not call. It is Snapchat, Instagram, social media. That's how they communicate, right? E so, emojis. Em emojis, right? Yeah. So you don't need to. You don't need to create a phone that, you know does anything like call people or text people that's pfft, who does that anymore email pfft, that's gone all it needs to do is just run social media have a bunch of cameras on it and is part drone so that it floats so that as they're walking around doing their stuff it's constantly just automatically taking snapshots of them as it kind of hovers around them in 360 degrees right brilliant I'm telling you. Yeah. Right. It just, it just, it, it, it you have like a, a watch, mm -hmm. you know, you, you've got your smart watch. So it just kind of measures how the distance is from you and the smart watch. Yeah. 
and it just kind of hovers around you and it's keeps just, you constantly in frame exactly yeah and then it's just and it just automatically posts stuff to your social media channel kind of like what i do with, with you in the morning here kind of yeah, yeah. but just i'm telling you this will but you know <laughs> you're yeah. right yeah you, you know nobody has pictures of their family anymore it's you know i remember back in the day like you go to a bar and there'd be like one guy with a camera at the bar and everybody's like, yeah, this guy's going to take a picture. And so there's, you know, everybody's taking pictures of each other. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and, you know, you look at the family photo album, there's the whole family. And there's always one person missing because that was the guy <laughs> taking the picture, right? Yes. <laughs> now you open up the family photo album and it's like, here's a picture of me. Here's a picture of me. Here's a picture of me. It's the guy that was missing. Me. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody else. It's right. just me. <laughs> it's just me now. And this long arm. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was you knew you knew things were going bad when they came out with a selfie stick. It was like you know this this was the beginning of the end. I like that the narcissistic drone. Yes, you better copyright that. Narcidrone. Well, Narcidrone. Yeah. <laughs> you heard it here first, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Somebody's gonna come out with this thing. I'm gonna go. Oh! <laughs> I should have done it. <laughs> stuff you stuff you stuff you think about while you're doing a radio show in the morning <laughs> yeah. anyway um <laughs> um just kind of wrapping up you know this morning again you know i think one of the things to really kind of pay attention to is what's going on with cryptocurrency uh you know it, it's very interesting you know when you go back three years and i know it seems like a bajillion years ago now but you go back three years ago People just, you know, if you said anything negative here on the show, Mike and I would talk about the problems with cryptocurrency and we would just get hate mail like you would not believe. And of course, you know, everybody on social media had laser eyes. So they were all, you know, if they were if they were involved with cryptocurrency whatsoever, they would put laser beams coming out of their eyes on their on their emoji pictures. You know, and and of course, then we had the whole NFT thing where people were buying virtual real estate and buying, you know, cartoon apes for all kinds of, you know, stupid money. And now the love affair with cryptocurrency is fading rapidly as losses mount. And the, the question, and this is going to be an interesting thing, is, you know, you know, as we talked about before, is there a place for cryptocurrency in the world? Absolutely. But it's got to have a utilitarian use. And that's the one thing we have not found for it just yet. Because, again, in order to use cryptocurrency, you've got to convert it back into U.S. dollars, which defeats the whole purpose of it being alternative currency. If I can't spend it in its natural form, it's not a currency. It's a representation of my currency, right? So, you know, gold is a good example of this. I can't spend gold. I can convert dollars into gold, and it's a representation of my currency. But in order to spend my currency, I've got to convert gold back into dollars, right? And so cryptocurrency is a, is a representation of my currency, but it is not a currency because you cannot transact in that basis yet. Now, will that change? Probably. The question is going to be, who is it? Is it going to be Bitcoin? Is it going to be Ethereum? Is it going to be Dogecoin? Is it going to be whatever? Or is it going to be a central bank currency? That's going to be the question. Anyway, 
conversation for another day. Uh, Dow up 61, giving up gains this morning. Uh, S&P giving up their gains this morning as well. So again, you know, we're starting to see a little bit of weakness already kind of fading in this kind of pre-PPI this morning. We'll come back tomorrow to talk about PPI, NFIB. Got a lot of stuff that's been telling us a lot about economic concerns right now. We'll see that information out today. In the meantime, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Send your questions, comments, emails. See you back here tomorrow. Well, exactly.